I think it's like really important to have people in office that are beholden to um, the electorate, like to voters and can be held accountable, right? And um, I think here, this is where like the discussion of representation comes in and especially, you know, just given today's, you know, just the times that we're living in, it's even that more of a discussion. So welcome everyone. Today I actually sat down with one of my closest friends at Dartmouth. Her and I have been friends since our freshman fall, and uh, the rest is history. So please welcome Melissa. Melissa, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? I'm okay. Just a little tired. These classes are really, really tough because it's like, like I, we've talked before, but it's a six hour time difference here being in, in Hawaii and then the East, Co the East Coast. So I have to be up around like 4 a.m. for classes. So that's definitely tough. But what about you on your yeah, side? I can though? imagine super exhausting. And I mean, thank you so much for taking the time, I guess. Um, yeah, I should I'm be thanking well. you for taking I the time. No, I mean, it's a Friday night and we're in the middle of quarantine, so really not much on my plate to do. Um, no, super excited to do this and real, real big fan of your podcast, so happy to be You're here. You're a fan. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, how was like first week of school, especially the fact that it's remote now and you're stuck inside, basically? Yeah. Um, first week of school, I mean, this is my third term taking online classes. So I feel like, you know, at one point I had to get used to it. Um, I think I've realized just the importance of keeping a schedule um, and giving yourself some kind of structure, especially when you're in your room like the entire day, you can almost feel like time just, I don't know, like flies by really quickly or like all the days kind of start to merge together. So one, just like setting that schedule is super important and it's really helped me this first week, I feel. And then two, just also giving myself things to look forward to. Like today I went around, um, a walk on Occam Pond and it was it was just so much fun to like leave my room and be able to be outside and just have some fun. So is that as much as you can possibly do while on campus with all the different restrictions? So to be completely honest I think everyone is deciding what they can do for themselves what they can and can't do for themselves we right. do have some guidelines in place I personally have not spent too much time outside beyond just um, picking up like meals. Um, but a lot of, you know, some of my friends are making a point to go on a walk every day. There are people kind of congregating on the green, which is this big, you know, greeny, like grassy area at Dartmouth, of course, still keeping some distance. Um, but I see a lot more people. I feel like every single time I go out, I see more and more people out and about still keeping the distance, but, um, just becoming more comfortable with this idea of, you know, college life during the pandemic yeah because it doesn't seem like it's as strict as i thought it would be because from the, my very first impression really i both. thought <laughs> i mean that's yeah. kind of observing as well so i'm i'm somewhat surprised um of course there are still rules and policies in place um and as far as i know those individuals who have like blatantly violated them have been suspended or they right. you know they ha like there is some kind of disciplinary action taking place um, so that's always good to know, right? Like there are consequences for those yeah. who decide to not abide by the rules. 
So what is the difference actually between just being on the green and hanging out with like a bunch of people and just being, you know, sent home? Because I don't think there's much difference, right? Or they're just stuck inside somewhere. Because I didn't hear much about the details of what happened. I'm sorry, I don't, can you repeat the question? I don't. Well, you know, the students were kicked out. Basically, they were sent home. What, do you know what exactly happened without saying any names? Yeah, sorry. I, I, um, there's been a couple of instances, well, like a couple of different events. Okay. Um, so it's not I, just one. I thought it was just one group. Oh, no, there's been a couple. I mean, wow. I mean, I'm, right, I'm actually not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Honestly, this is coming from someone who doesn't have all of the details. So um, don't quote me on this, but there, there's been a couple of people who um, just decided to kind of get together, um, you know, pass around some um some beer i don't even know what kind of drink it was i think it might have been a white claw and then this group of girls decided to post like a picture of themselves on social media which right honestly, i've heard that story that is where yeah. they went wrong you know but that's the thing too because i know that person i'm friends with that person i know yes that's right i was you know, super friends i know right i mean i have you so that works perfectly <laughs> right now but i was just surprised because i expected so much more from that person i can't believe it i'm, yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that i mean that no, I, I mean, respectively, it, it was pretty bad judgment. Right, exactly. It was very irresponsible on their part, especially when they knew they suspected that they had contracted the virus. And like, you know what? I'm fine. I want to fit in. I want to have fun. I don't want to be stuck inside my room for the next two weeks or 14 weeks or whatever it may be. And that person made this, the wrong decision. And that's just, yeah. But uh, what class are you taking? Yeah, it's a good question. I, so I just finalized my schedule today. Um, and that took a bit of effort and energy throughout the week because I was like, um, you know, oscillating between these two different courses. But I um, just confirmed my schedule. And so I'm taking two Gov seminars um, and then one Spanish class. I'm a Gov and Spanish major here at Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. um, so the Gov seminars, one is about political representation in the U.S., which is super okay. interesting to me. Um, I took a, another seminar this past summer about the role of um, ethnic diversity within democracies. And I just got, that really got me thinking about like the importance of representation, um, like identity politics within government. And so I wanted to kind of pursue that a bit further, but in the context of the US, because that other class was more kind of, you know, um, global and, and um, we focused on a couple of different countries outside of America. Um, and then, so the, that's one of my classes. And then the other class is um, an experiment-based politics class. So it's super interesting. Um, the objective of that class is um, that students enrolled will essentially work towards um, developing original research uh, quantitatively. And then at the end of the class, um, what is done is they write together kind of like a report, like an actual article about the results, some of the data and like analyses that they did. And um, the professor then works to get that article published. Wow, um, that's interesting. Yeah. So that would I'm, be really great for you. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I think just going into the class, I'm a bit, I'm a bit scared and, and um, have a couple of fears just because, you know, I took up 10, which is kind of just the standard quantitative. Right. That's a statistics class. class. Right, exactly. Um, so I'm somewhat familiar with, um, with the concepts and then also just coding in R. Um, but at the same time, I'm not entirely sure if my skill set is, you know, kind of like up, you know, at par with everyone else's. So yeah. I'm, I'm a bit scared that like, I might not be able to catch the concepts as quickly, but. So, so by the way, so when you're saying you're doing research, are you relying on previous research that's online or are you actively seeking out 
you know, samples and data and whatnot? Yeah, that's a good question. So we field our own survey. We field our own survey and um, <clears throat> like we like um, we kind of determine ourselves within the class what we want those questions to look like, what we want the experiment or the design of the experiment to look like. Um, and you know, then we wait for responses to kind of come in. And from those responses from that data, we then conduct you know, analyses in our in, by coding. Um, and it's those results that we uh, write up on our in our paper in an article that then gets published. Hopefully, here's hoping. Yeah. So do you have much freedom with the topic and what you want to do? Or is it restricted within what your professor gives you? You just determine the topic. So that's the actual, that's a really interesting part. Um, everyone writes up like their own proposal or something that they're really interested in um, looking, you know, researching further. And then the class collectively decides which proposal, which kind of question do we want to pursue. But these questions come from the students themselves. The, it's not the teacher at all that's setting the agenda. I would say it's the other way around. Right. Yeah. Well, you're a hard worker. I've seen that. Well, I've seen it with my own eyes. We've been friends for two years now. We met our freshman. Year. Really? Yeah. And I see you studying every day, every night. Like it's I could not live that boring. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I know, but at the same time, it's like, it's Dartmouth. It's kind of expected, especially if you're a gov major or if you're a STEM major or anything, really, there's going to be hard work. It's different. It's a different kind of pressure, essentially, depending on the, on the department, but you work hard. So I'm sure you're just fine. And then based, yeah, based on the the first government class you told me about, the one about representation, is it fair to assume that you hope to be in a sector of government that is about political identity or representation in a way? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I'm not entirely sure what I want to do yet. Um, I, I mean, I, I know that, you know, sometime later down the road, I want to pursue a career in law. So that would entail going to law school and becoming mm -hmm. a lawyer. But Government itself is also so fascinating, especially here in the US and at like all levels, city, county, you know, state, federal. Um, and I am like very interested in um, immigration. Yeah, immigration. But sorry, I was going in a different like train of thought. Yeah, I, sorry. Um, no, you're good. You're good. I, I think it's like really important to have people in office that are beholden to um, the electorate, like to voters and can be held accountable. Right. And um, I think here, this is where like the discussion of representation comes in and especially, you know, just given today's, you know, just the times that we're living in, it's even that more of a discussion. Um, and it's an important one, right? And I think in many ways, obviously representation means a lot of things. We, it's not, and it goes beyond like, um, like a scriptive identity. So I would like to think that it goes beyond kind of just like race or gender. Um, class is another big kind of like marker that I think can be better represented in all spheres in the US. Um, but also kind of just thought and I don't know, like I am fascinated by how we can achieve good representation. What does that even mean? You know, right. determines, like what good representation is. Those are all questions that are super interesting to me. Um, and I can certainly see myself pursuing like a career that explores some of those themes. Yeah. So when you say uh, an actual representation that goes beyond what we've we hear about in the media like what exactly do you mean do you have like an but example in mind or I yeah i think a lot of people place emphasis on um the importance of rep racial representation right like having right. um having representatives in office that are also latinx especially in like for example california which is where i'm from a huge latino population right so mm -hmm. ideally we would want like representatives um or people in the house that also kind of just reflect 
the demographics of, of the state population, right? right? But at the same time, I think, you know, it's, it's also just interesting to see who even runs in the first place. And I think a lot of people just to kind of like act, be able to successfully host a, a campaign, you have to have resources, right? And that alone is limiting, right? Like only people who have that kind of income, who have that kind of like spare time on their hands will then be able to successfully like throw a campaign or like run for office, right? So I mentioned kind of just class. And I think this is something that just in general, I think is often kind of overlooked in many spaces in the US, the importance of um, just like uh, your socioeconomic status, how that might be limiting to you entering certain spaces, especially, I mean, you know, we're both, if I may, like first gen low income students at right. Dartmouth. Um, and like, I know personally for me, that's impacted a lot of the ways in which I kind of interact with the space. And I think it's important that we think about that um, in relation to, to government as well and to our representatives. Yeah, that's true. Because the big problem with that, uh, with, I guess, representation is you may be a, just black, just like me. But if you don't know anything about my struggle, if you're just born in a great environment, and you weren't really exposed to what I was exposed growing up, you may not be the best representative for me, if that makes any sense. No, if, it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it very much depends. But going on that segue, how, how was your experience, your, first, your very first year at Dartmouth as a first gen student? Yeah. Um... So I am. I'm a first gen low income. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Both are. I mean, you're at Dartmouth, right? Um, Struggling. Yeah. Honestly, if I can be completely, I mean, I I'll be completely transparent. My, I would I would so I would just break up my year into like the terms because I think they vary like very drastically across term. But I would say okay. that the long term, I really had like a bad transition. Um, and it was just a couple of different factors that went into that. I was struggling a lot with imposter syndrome. I was super homesick. Um, I help from East LA, which is like a really um, homogeneous society in the sense of like, there's no diversity, you know, it's, it's really predominantly Latinx. For the majority of my adolescence and my childhood, I only saw people who looked like me, people who like right. talked like me. Um, and so, so being kind of like, exposed to this different environment where I was clearly not the majority, I was mm -hmm. clearly the minority, was just a super disorienting. Like I wasn't sure. I, I remember having kind of just trouble um like really connecting with and I still I, I still do think that I struggle with this a bit, but connecting with people who don't share my ethnic identity or don't share my class identity, right? And it's difficult to kind of like bridge those connections when there's so much seemingly like difference between two different kinds of people um but then just to speak a little bit more about um some of the insecurity that i felt academically like i hail from a public school so i i remember just coming into dartmouth already being so afraid that i don't know i wasn't as smart as the other kids i think and to be honest like i think mm -hmm. everyone here at dartmouth to some extent kind of goes through these same feelings right like yeah i, think I completely all, understand what you're saying exactly yeah we all experiment or sorry experience um feelings of insecurity, feelings of not feeling good enough. But I believe, or at least it's, you know, it's my thought that for first gen low income students, for a variety of factors, that that feeling is even more extreme. Mm -hmm. um, so, so this is all kind of just combined into a really bad fall term. I remember not being really happy. And I, I, I like just seriously considered whether Dartmouth was a good space, whether it was the right decision, especially since I was like so far away from home. Um, and I finished, I finished like fall term, just having a lot of questions and just 
knowing that I didn't want to repeat, um, excuse me, repeat that experience. I didn't want to feel sad or like miserable quite plainly at Dartmouth anymore. Um, and I came back, like I used my winter break, which is six weeks. We have an absurdly long winter break to reflect on some of the reasons as to why I wasn't feeling at home, why I felt just sad and alone there. And I came back winter term with like the full intention to kind of rectify that, to like establish better habits, to, you know, make actual friendships. And I think it was really that term when we started to talk. Um, right. I started yeah. to kind of just, I don't know, be more social and not as concerned about, I don't know, my studies or, or things like that. Um, so, so winter term was much better and spring term, it just kept getting better. And I, I, I like to think that every term since then, I feel much more comfortable in my academic abilities, but just more comfortable as an individual at Dartmouth. Um, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you because I definitely felt that imposter syndrome. But at the same time, for me, it was a little different in a sense that I came from a Hawaii public school where I was a minority. They were like, I want to say out of maybe 700 students, there were like five African-Americans. And by the time I was a senior, there was only one left. Yeah, there's only one left. And so I get to Dartmouth and I start seeing black people all over the place. I'm like, this is weird. I've never seen this. It's been so long, right? And I was like, this is strange. And I go to my room and I find out that my roommate is African-American as well. So that was, for me, made me feel a bit more comfortable. And he and I are like brothers now. Like, you, you know him very well. We're brothers yeah. now. But in terms of just academic rigor, I realized that I wasn't, I didn't feel as prepared as I thought I was. My high school did not prepare me like at all. And then so I'm in my first time, I'm struggling to keep up. I end up doing well enough, but I'm not satisfied. And to this day, I still have to put in probably a lot more work than the average, I don't want to say the average student at Dartmouth, but somebody who's more prepared. Maybe that's a private school or whatever it may be. So I completely understand where you're coming from. But then I got to meet you and then other people on our floor. And it's been great ever since, honestly. Yeah. But not to get too political, but just to get your take on what's going on right now in this country in terms of the pandemic and the government's response to it. It quite feels like when we watch the media, the response hasn't been that great because we see also impacting, you know, uh, the people. So do you think, I guess my question is, how do you think the people will receive the vaccine? And by that, I mean, like, will they be open to actually get a vaccine if it were to come before the election? I mean, I hope so. Like, I know, I know there are anti-vaccination campaigns yeah. that to me doesn't make any sense. Um, Wait, but not, not but, to cut you off. Like, the reason I say that is because of the current administration, because it would feel a little too quick in a sense, because you have on one side, you have the CDC saying we have to wait at least until next year towards the summer where it'll be, everything will uh, go back to normal and then on the other side you have somebody saying well it could be the vaccine could be here as soon as november october i think the, his words specifically were before a special date i don't know if you remember that but i was just laughing when he said it but yeah that's what i mean like because of this administration do you think people will be more willing to take it i um okay i'm not entirely sure i interpreted that question correctly um so are you saying that if the if the administration like makes accessible a vaccination of their own as right and not one that's like cdc certified no no like, that's not because the vaccine that will come out will be through the cdc or like the world health organization right, right. not right but the i think the thing is you see a lot of contradiction between the current administration the, per, the person in power and the cities the cdc uh 
I want to say the people in charge in the CDC saying we'll have right. to wait a long time for a vaccine to come out. And then the, the president saying, well, it might not take that long. It will be maybe before the election. Right. So it feels a little bit rushed in a way, if that makes any sense. So my question, okay. yeah. So my question is, do you think because of that, because of what he's been saying, if a vaccine were to come before, were released before the election, do you think people would be willing to take it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think people would be opposed to it. I mean, I think, to be honest, like a lot of, I don't know, organizations, a lot of workspaces in the U.S. would require their employees to take it, if only just to like have them back in the office and mm -hmm. therefore like more productive, right? Like, I think it would be, I hope it would be, and I mean, the same kind of applies to schools. I would then imagine that to be able to go to Dartmouth, back to the Dartmouth campus, you would have to kind of show verification of that vaccination. So I think if anything, it would be like strongly enforced by everyone. Um, okay. Obviously the hope is that we get it sooner rather than later, but right. I, I'd like to believe that like, there's no kind of ideological or partisan divide on like whether or not, whether we should or shouldn't take the vaccination. Like I think across the board, it's something that yeah. people agree on um, in terms of it being good and- um, Yeah, that's like, what I'm- Yeah. yeah. Because that's what I've been wrestling with, because I've been thinking, is this supposed to be a political strategy to gain more voters? Because it quite, it felt a bit like it, because you have two, you have the CDC and the president saying completely different things, in a way. And I mean, do you think it's a political strategy? I mean, I think the administration, the current administration, um, will just about say anything without really verifying or fact-checking. Um, and I think, honestly, at this point, too, there's almost like no strategy behind it, or at least that's how it seems to outsiders. Like they kind of just say it to say it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think obviously the administration also cares about its public image and so as to declare these things out loud and, and give some semblance of control over this really weird time. I, I imagine in their eyes is, is something that they should be doing right to kind of appease voters and the electorate and, and to show like, hey, we do have, you know, a, some like control over this to um, hope. right but like what you said it's also so confusing to just the average public and i i mean at least for the friends at least for like the family members and, and friends that i know there's we don't really don't pray um place that much kind of credibility on what the administration is saying which is obviously so scary right and alarming right. it shouldn't be that way like the president should be a figure of authority and leadership and what he says yeah should be kind of widely recognized and, and, and um, accepted. Right, but, the overall message, right, really. But I, for many of my friends, for the people that I know, that isn't the case. Right, because it very much feels like it. I mean, this is just my perspective. I don't know what other people think. I'm not speaking for anybody. I'm, and I'm no political analyst. We're just having a simple conversation here. But every time he speaks, it feels like sometimes it's not a message that, would bring people together regardless of their political Only sometimes. Um, <laughs> i mean I, I guess i yeah i mean i see what you're saying but it just doesn't feel like it you know it's not the same thing because i was listening to a veteran speaking on youtube at one point and he was talking about how the administration or at least how the people felt when 9-11 occurred like it didn't matter if you were democrat or republican or whatever it was everybody was checking on each other on your neighbors are you good are you okay the country felt like we're just all Americans. There's, there was no, there were no political sides. And with this administration, it feels completely different. Regardless yeah, of the situation. You bring up a really good point, actually. I had never thought about it. Like, 
I, to, in many ways, this pandemic on its kind of like national and global scale perhaps could have been this unifying force, right? right. Where parties could have been brought together. I mean, you see that to some extent, right? Especially with um, the passage of, um, I am sorry, I'm blanking out, but the the stimulus bill um, right. that many Americans received, right? Obviously, like that was widely supported by both parties, but still like there, to some extent, there is still this partisan divide on something so like objective as a pandemic, right? Like mm -hmm. some people believing that it's a hoax. Um, right. Which is just blows my mind. Other people exactly. refusing to wear their, their masks, thinking it's like an infringement on their right to, I don't know, freedom of expression. I don't even know what the, what the argument is to be completely honest. Right. I, I would assume that like something of this kind of proportion would have the ability to really kind of bring people together, to work together, to be able to then overcome this whole thing, right? And, and try to get back to normal. But I think it's, it's so interesting because I never, I never thought about just how it's kind of had the opposite effect. I think if anything, it's somewhat exacerbated maybe tensions between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. You hear a lot of critiques about how the Trump administration is handling this. So I right. think it's only kind of heightened some of the animosity that already exists, which is so unfortunate. I mean, this could have really been an opportunity to just get people, regardless of their affiliation, working together. Yeah, I think that's one thing, or actually at least one of many things that he felt he failed to take advantage of. And by he, I mean Trump, because if he had been more understanding and he had said, well, I believe this is happening. This is real. We need to do something. Forget what your political party is. We need to come together and solve this problem. I think that would have helped him. Maybe. I'm not entirely sure, but that's something he definitely failed to do. And going on with that, do you think if he were to lose the election of Biden, would things change in terms of race relations or the pandemic or anything really yeah i think i think so i mean i i can't okay first of all i just want to like say that i'm by no means an expert and this is really right. more like personal opinion than anything else mm -hmm. as someone who's taken a couple of gov classes i mean maybe more than a couple but like you know um, yeah. gov classes here at dartmouth i can't at all speak to like race relations that's i mean that just goes back centuries there's a yeah. long legacy of discrimination and prejudice prejudice excuse me against people of color particularly the black community here in the u.s things have to definitely be reformed there um what i would say is that i think the trump administration exacerbated a lot of the divisions that people already felt prior to his election and my hope would be that once we get like if you know hopefully um come 2020 election um, Trump is voted out, we will be able to have someone in office who isn't trying to like actively pit people against each other like okay. Trump is. Um, we would have someone in office who isn't as divisive um, and hopefully someone who is open to the idea of working with the other side, facilitating compromise and collaboration between the two parties to actually get legislation enacted. Um, I think just just the Trump administration right now, I mean, sorry, I got distracted just given the like um, no, you're totally fine. Jocelyn's voice in the in the I hope that do you edit this by any chance or is it just like I don't. I just oh, want it to God. be natural. You're fine. <laughs> just, let's just have fun. No. That's um, all it's about. Sorry, my roommate is just for context, my roommate is in her room talking. Um I hope you can't hear the background noise. If you can, just let me yeah. know. I can't um, even hear anything, so it's totally okay, fine. Okay, great. Um 
I lost my train of thought, but, but my hope would be that things would get better, almost on all fronts, mm-hmm. um, if Trump were to lose and, and someone else um, gain office. And it, honestly, I mean, Joe Biden, I think, all things considered, perhaps might not be the best candidate, but I do think he will be a less divisive fig- like, uh, figure in, in office than Trump currently is. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to necessarily get into it, but when you say not necessarily the best candidate, is that in terms of a specific thing, a specific aspect of government, or just I mean, in general? Things, but I think just so as to, I think everyone would agree that he is rather, I mean, he's he's old, just like Trump is, right? He's he's super yeah. old. Um, he is also, he's known for kind of, kind of having a lot of gaffes, like in a lot of his speeches, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard. Maybe yeah, I've seen the, some of those before. Right, maybe not the yeah. most articulate person. And also just seems he might be like, given his, how old he is, kind of just out of touch with a lot of what, a lot of the current discussion taking place around uh, police reform, police brutality, race in the U.S. that is being kind of, you know, taking place in more of these younger circles, at least, and that's what I've seen. Um, But like also, right, he chose Kamala Harris as his VP, and there's obvious intention behind that. Yeah. All of this being said, I do think he is a better um, person for office than, than Trump is. Um, but he definitely wasn't the person I voted for in the primary and we can leave it at that. Yeah, I see. Well, I guess just to end it up, uh, if you were to work in, I mean, not if you were, cause you will, I'm sure at some point, yeah. I totally believe that. But if you had powers right now in the government, you could prioritize one thing that we have been, you know, uh, not paying much attention to, what would it be? Yeah, Something I to awareness about. I would definitely go with putting more action, more resources to um, that address climate change. I mean, I'm from California right okay. now. I'm sure you've heard of the. I mean, I'm from California, right? And I'm sure you've heard of the wildfires taking place right now. Yeah. Uh, my parents, just given the nature of their work, have to work outside. And even though we might not live, we don't live the closest to um, some of the mountain ranges that are experiencing these wildfires. But still, the toxic toxic air permeates, right? And um, it's people of color mostly. I mean, this goes into kind of just like environmental um, racism, right? But like, I, I see it firsthand, the people that are exposed to some of these kind of just terrible environmental conditions are people um, who are, have been racially marginalized, who are economically marginalized. Um, so we, we, need to, we need to tackle climate change and we do it in a way that addresses some of like, just the kind of human injustices behind it, some of the disparities that are more human-centered, because I think a lot of times, or maybe I, I come across a lot of kind of discourse that revolves around climate change that is all about like, I don't know, tree huggers and like, you right. know, like saving the world for the sake of, of nature, which is obviously important. And I'm not at all denouncing that. I just think sometimes in these kinds of conversations, we forget to discuss or, or think about the necessity, the nece- sorry, the necessity of like changing some of these conditions um, for the sake of people's health and people's well-being, right? And oftentimes, like, it's it's the people who don't have much power in government that are being affected by by climate change the most right. um, seriously. And I just don't see enough conversation about that part of it. Yeah, and just to clarify, when you say environmental racism, you're talking about climate change affecting individuals at the margin of society. It looks, I mean, it takes so many different forms. Like, again, being from LA, um, we have like one of the biggest oil refineries um, in all of the world, actually. This is more like South LA, more like in the county area than the actual city. Okay. Um, but it just so happens that 
the majority so like obviously it's an oil refinery and we think about then like who's living around that refinery right it happens to be um poor folks it happens to be uh people of color predominantly latinx people who can't afford to move out you know who for one reason or another are settled there and have to kind of just tolerate the really bad air right and when the plant was initially kind of constructed you can imagine that the people who had resources were then able to relocate so as to not mm. have to expose the terrible air but the, the, exactly. fact of the matter is that like not everyone has that power not everyone has the, the resources to be able to kind of just you know escape some of the perils of of climate change um and go to a place that is just like freer and and um doesn't doesn't kind of like have or faces some of the same challenges. Like right now here in New Hampshire, I feel so privileged being able to walk outside and breathe some mm -hmm. of the fresh, some of the clean air. And I know that right now, for example, my family doesn't have that same privilege. So, I mean, we can get into a whole discussion about this. Yeah. I'm not nearly as well versed on, on it as I should be, but I think climate change should be on everyone's agenda. And yeah. I think we should kind of um, embrace or adopt this human-centered focus to it. Yeah, I think you're totally right because that's the saddest thing about society is that when Mother Nature uh, just speaks for herself, then we see the loopholes in society, especially how it affects uh, marginalized individuals. Yeah. And I don't know if we're ever going to solve that, but we just have to wait and see until I mean, people like you. Know? Yeah, until people like you get into power and then you can make a difference. That'd be great. Here's hoping, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Melissa. Thanks for coming. Really appreciate it for, sure. for making this happen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation. I had a fantastic time with my friend Melissa. I'm excited for the future and looking forward to putting out more content for all of you and to learn more about Dartmouth and our professors and the amazing students and friends that I have. So I'm excited. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.